the first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Fanick. I'm here with Alexis Linkletter, and welcome back to our special Friday episodes of The First Degree, where for the last several Fridays and for a few more, we're dedicating our feed to remembering the victims of the Long Island serial killer. If you haven't heard of the Long Island serial killer, please hit pause and go check out our three-part deep dive into the Lisk case. And when you're ready and you have learned everything that you need to know about Lisk, come right back to where we are now. Right. And once you've done that, you'll know all about how the Long Island serial killer, like most modern day serial killers, targeted, kidnapped, and murdered sex workers. And this is just one of the many ways that violence against sex workers occurs and we want to help. So we've created a fundraising and awareness raising campaign and initiative with jewelry designer, Jimmy Toast. And Jamie has created 10 jaw-dropping necklaces for this campaign, and each necklace is inspired by and in honor of the Long Island serial killer's victims. The necklaces are available for purchase at theheavymetalproject.com. And 100% of the net profits will be donated to the Sex Workers Outreach Project. SWAP is a nonprofit dedicated to the fundamental rights of the people in the sex trade. And to be clear, when you buy one of Jamie's necklaces, your money is going straight to SWAP. Um. Remember, that's the heavymetalproject.com. Buy a limited edition necklace and help support sex workers' rights. And, you know, it's a it's an easy way to move the needle and help make a difference. Now, with that, we're ready to get to the important part. So today we're talking about Maureen Brainerd Barnes. She was a daughter, a sister, a mother. She was kind, she was generous, she was loved, and heartbreakingly, she was also a victim of the Long Island serial killer. In 2007, 25-year-old Maureen Brainerd Barnes lived in Norwich, Connecticut, and she had a lot on her plate. She was a mom to a nine-year-old girl and a two-year-old boy. Maureen loved her kids, and she was a really devoted mother. And she was juggling the responsibilities of two children, and that is a ton of work. She was navigating custody battles, co-parenting, and the day-to-day transportation finances and beyond. In addition to all of the normal obligations that come with being a single mom, Maureen had also taken it upon herself to help out a couple of her friends who had fallen on hard times, as in these friends were on the brink of homelessness. So Maureen, who was known for her generosity, invited them to stay with her, anything to help. Maureen covered the rent, the groceries, and everything else for her and her friends and the two kids she was supporting. And even though Maureen's kindness clearly knew no bounds, the financial stress of the situation was taking its toll. It would have been a ton of pressure, as I'm sure all of you listening can imagine. At the time, Maureen was behind in rent, and she knew an eviction was just around the corner. And on top of that, Maureen was having a really difficult time finding a regular 9-to-5 job. In early 2007, she'd been laid off from her position at a telemarketing company. And it was a seasonal gig, so Maureen probably wasn't surprised when she was let go. But still, she needed to pay the bills somehow. So Maureen tried to find a new job, and she applied for pretty much anything and everything from receptionist to a Walmart Greta, data entry clerk, customer service rep, and more. 
But in a case of sheer bad luck, Maureen wasn't hired for any of these positions. Right. So Maureen did the same thing that she always did when cash was tight. She picked up work as a massage therapist, or at least that's what she told her friends and family. Really, Maureen wasn't a masseuse, but she was dabbling in sex work. And like most sex workers, this wasn't Maureen's dream job, but she had to make ends meet somehow. And when Maureen made the three-hour trip from Connecticut to New York City, she could make over $1,000 a night doing sex work. And that was the kind of money she needed to provide stability for her children, who were her priority. And listen, anyone listening with kids, they're like, I would do literally anything for my kids. And like, that's what we're dealing with here. People keeping roofs over the heads of their children. And most people would do anything to do that. And that's exactly what she was doing. Absolutely. And making over $1,000 a night, if you were doing that five nights a week, every week, that equates to over $250,000 annually. And that was back in 2007. So with today's inflation, that could be well over $350,000. And that really is a life-changing amount of money. Right. But Maureen, she wasn't doing sex work often enough to make that amount of money because like we said, she had kids to care for, two kids. According to Robert Kolker's book, Lost Girls, Maureen didn't like how jaded the sex work made her feel. And maybe Maureen, who also knew that each time she met with a John was a risk, but she would do this on and off whenever she needed the money in a dire situation. And in July of 2007, Maureen was there. She really needed the money. Yeah. And she was in a dire situation. She was going to be evicted from her home on Tuesday, July 10th of the same year, unless she could come up with $1,100. So on Friday, July 6th of 2007, Maureen found somebody to watch her kids. She went to Manhattan and booked a Super 8 motel room near Times Square. And then she posted a Craigslist ad under her sex worker alias, Marie. Maureen had told her family that she'd be back by Monday, July 9th. But Maureen had an oddly slow weekend. When Monday came, she still hadn't made that $1,100 that would stop her eviction. Right. So she decided to stay in New York just a little while longer. After all, her eviction date wasn't until the following day. So this was Maureen's last Hail Mary to make enough money before she returned home. Maureen's friend and fellow sex worker, a woman named Sarah, had actually come with her to New York. They were staying in the same hotel together. And Sarah went back home to Connecticut on Sunday with a promise that she'd return with Maureen a few days later. But Sarah would never get the chance to see Maureen again, because on Monday, July 9th of 2007, 25-year-old Maureen Brainerd Barnes vanished. Five days later, on July 14th, Maureen's family submitted a missing persons report. But it would be three years before any progress was made in Maureen's case. Until on December 13th of 2010, Maureen was found on Gilgo Beach. So how could this have happened to Maureen? And why did the Long Island serial killer target her? And why did it take so long for the police to find her? To answer all these questions, you all know the drill. We got to go back. Maureen L. Ducharme was born on June 14th of 1982 in New London, Connecticut. Maureen was named after her grandmother, and she had two sisters and a brother. The three siblings grew up in Groton, Connecticut, a mid-sized naval town of about 40,000 people located on the Thames River. Maureen's mother cleaned buildings in the area, and her father worked primarily in lumber with some mechanic stuff on the side. Maureen's family wasn't wealthy, but they did okay. Maureen's parents worked hard to support all of them, and they had a lot of joy in their family, and there was a lot of joy in Maureen's childhood. She had adventures with her sisters and brother all the time. And according to Robert Kolker's book, Lost Girls, they'd explore the woods behind their apartment, 
sneak into the local dive bar and play football in a nearby field, just kid stuff. And while Maureen's siblings were pretty athletic, Maureen was more of an artist. She was a thinker, a romantic. And while she was outgoing and energetic, she also enjoyed time to herself. Exactly. And Maureen was known for reading books about deep philosophical questions. We're talking religion, the supernatural, and conspiracy theories. And Maureen also loved to write in her journal. And she would ask these big brain-bending questions like, is heaven a physical place or just a state of mind? And when MySpace came around in the early 2000s, Maureen used the social media site as a publishing platform for her work. She posted her poems, her song lyrics, and other thoughts for the world to see. And here's a snippet of one of Maureen's poems as it was published in Robert Kolker's Lost Girls book. There's too many people walking around with plastic faces, too many children hanging in the wrong places, too many dirty cops controlling ghetto blocks, too many fistfights ending in shots, too many girls taking to wrong paths. It's not too late to do the math. And when Maureen was about 16 years old, she began seeing a young man named Jason Brainerd Barnes. They were together for about six months when Maureen became pregnant with her first child, a baby girl. And although this probably wasn't what Maureen or Jason had planned for, the two teenagers were madly in love. So in 1999, they decided to tie the knot at a small courthouse wedding. And Maureen immediately dropped out of high school so she could start supporting her daughter. Maureen and Jason stayed together for over two years. And during that time, Jason joined the army. And the little family of three moved to the South for a while. When they came back to the New England area, Maureen and Jason decided it was time to end their relationship and part ways. Luckily, the split was amicable. No lawyers or the insane fees that come with lawyers were necessary. And the parents decided together that their daughter would live primarily with Jason. He lived in Mystic, Connecticut, which was known for its excellent schools. So Maureen moved in with her sister and her brother in her hometown of Groton, Connecticut. And while there, Maureen's siblings probably realized that Maureen was good at a lot of things, like she was a great mom. She loved playing dress up and make believe with her daughter. And Maureen was incredibly caring and generous. She'd adopt stray kittens and try to nurse them back to health. And her sister told 48 Hours, if you came up and asked Maureen for every last penny in her pocket, she would give it to you. But the one thing Maureen struggled with was finding a long-term job that she actually liked, that she actually felt inspired by. She worked anywhere and everywhere, just not for very long because her heart wasn't in it. Like Jack was describing earlier, she was into poetry and songwriting and, you know, what called her were creative things. She didn't want to stand at a cash register or deliver pizzas, which is understandable. What Maureen wanted to do was write or even model. I mean, she was beautiful. She just knew there was something bigger and better waiting for her. And she didn't want to waste her time doing something mundane and something she didn't care about. In 2004, 22-year-old Maureen was ready to jumpstart her modeling career, so she did a free photo shoot with a friend. Then she uploaded the pictures to a website where modeling bookers could find her portfolio. And Maureen was just ready for any modeling opportunity, magazines, commercials, car shows. It didn't really matter. She was ready to do it. But the people reaching out to Maureen weren't always interested in traditional modeling opportunities. They wanted Maureen to do nude modeling or join their escort service. And once Maureen realized what these bookers were after, she began investigating her options. Even though she wasn't interested in nude modeling or joining an escort service, she was intrigued by sex work. It would pay her just as much or more than modeling or escorting. And she wouldn't be beholden to an employer like she had been with all of her other jobs. For once, Maureen would be her own boss. And that sounded pretty appealing to her. 
So Maureen figured out how to do sex work all on her own. When she realized that she could double her profit if she traveled out of Connecticut to New York City, she started going to Manhattan regularly. She'd book a hotel near Times Square, post an ad on Craigslist or a similar site, and complete as many appointments as she could before heading home. And as Maureen gained more and more experience in sex work, she started establishing rules that would help keep her safe. Right. And Maureen's rules make a lot of sense. Here's a few of them in no particular order as stated in Kolker's Lost Girls book. So one, Maureen always paid a friend to be her driver and security. After Maureen was with a client for five minutes, the friend would knock on the door. If Maureen answered, everything was okay. And if Maureen didn't, something was wrong. Two, protection was always used. Three, don't take checks because the John could cancel them before you cashed out. Four, be suspicious of people who want you to come to their location. And if you do go to them, stay in Manhattan. Don't travel to the Bronx, Brooklyn, Staten Island, or Queens. And last but not least, trust your instincts. And if your gut says get out, get out. But on July 9th of 2007, Maureen was working for a very specific reason, to keep a roof over the heads of her children. So this last trip to New York City was a do-or-die situation. She had to make enough money from sex work to save her living situation for her kids. And her sister told 48 Hours, Maureen felt like there was no way out. According to Newsday, Maureen called a friend on the day she went missing. At 11.43 p.m., Maureen told the friend that she was meeting a client on an out call, meaning that Maureen was going to the John's location. And this was the exact opposite of what Maureen would have usually done. And that was the last time that anyone ever heard from Maureen. And when her family reported her missing five days later on July 14th, well, the police didn't exactly jump into action. According to 48 Hours' interview with Maureen's sister, the cops basically said, maybe your sister just ran away. Maybe she doesn't care about her kids. Obviously, um, Maureen's family, knowing Maureen, wasn't just going to lay down and accept that. They knew better. They knew Maureen. So they themselves, without the police's help, went to Manhattan to look for Maureen themselves. They scoured the area, asking hundreds of people if they'd seen Maureen, but no one knew where she was. And if you remember Sarah, she was Maureen's friend and the sex worker who went with Maureen to Manhattan the same weekend that she had disappeared. So two weeks after Maureen went missing, Sarah received a call from an unknown man. The man said that he had just seen Maureen at a, quote, whorehouse in Queens, and she was fine. But Sarah apparently knew that this man was lying right away. And that's because Sarah knew Maureen well and knew that Maureen worked independently, meaning Maureen didn't have a pimp or a boyfriend running things behind the scene. There was no brothel she was associated with. None of this made any sense. But Sarah and others who know of this call suspect that the man on the line was the Long Island serial killer and that he was trying to muddy the waters for anyone who may have been looking for Maureen as like a red herring away from him. Right. And Maureen would have been the first of the Gilgo Four victims to have been abducted. So if the Long Island serial killer was ever going to make some mistakes, like picking a sex worker who had a strong community like Maureen did, it would be now while he was still kind of trying to figure things out. And of course, Lisk could have killed before Maureen, but maybe he was establishing his new pattern. Or maybe there were two Long Island serial killers. Maureen's body was discovered on December 13th of 2010 during the search for Shannon Gilbert. And if you've listened to any of these episodes, you already know who Shannon Gilbert is, and we don't need to explain again. And Maureen's remains were identified about a month later. But we're all left wondering, how much sooner would investigators have uncovered Maureen if the Connecticut police had taken her missing person report seriously? 
Time and time again, these officers are just brushing off cases of missing sex workers, and everybody, including us, are fed up with it, which is one of the many reasons we're supporting organizations like SWAP, so they can help sex workers stay safe with or without the police's help. Check out theheavymetalproject.com to support sex workers' human rights. And if you have any information about the Long Island serial killer, please contact the Suffolk County Crime Stoppers at 1-800-220-TIPS. There's a $50,000 reward for information leading to an arrest.